Raised Sports is a proud member of the Storyhanger Podcast Network. For more information, go to storyhanger.com. Hello, friends. Bob Harkins here, taking a moment to tell you once again about our friends at Cool Fire Studios, a wonderful graphic design, printing, and art studio. If you need a t shirt, business cards, posters, anything to make a splash, Cool Fire Studios artists can make something special just for you. And we're not talking about just logos on shirts. We're talking about really cool and unique artwork, which you can see a perfect example of in our official Raised Sports t-shirts. See them on our website now. So check out Cool Fire Studios. That's cool with a K. Coolfirestudios.com. Now, on with the show. Like when you're 17, like that one game, that fourth week of the season game against Morris Knowles High School... To me, was like the end all be all. Like that game was like going to define the the trajectory of the rest of my life. When in reality, it, it has nothing to do with anything. For decades now, football has been America's favorite sport. We love its athleticism, its speed, its grace, and if we're being honest. We also love its violence and its brutality. He hasn't moved since he took that hit. Players are modern-day gladiators, sacrificing their bodies for every yard of Coliseum turf. Once again, a violent collision. This one's head-to-head. They get dinged up, they get their bells rung, and then they shake it off and get back out there, all for our entertainment. Are you not entertained? But it is becoming increasingly apparent that there is a price to be paid for this entertainment, long-term effects that can dramatically impact the lives of both the athletes and their loved ones. People need to know that the human brain is a post-mitotic organ. It doesn't have any reasonable capacity to cure itself of injuries. Welcome to Season 1 of the Raised Sports Podcast, in which we'll tackle the issue of concussions and CTE, brain trauma in the sport of football. They took a vicious hit. He's still down, has a move. What does it all mean for the health of the athletes, these modern-day gladiators? I don't, I don't know how you take this out of the game of football. I don't know if there's anything you can do. And how will our growing knowledge of the issue impact the future of the sport itself? In the long run, is it all worth it? Atwater just killed Randy Hilliard. Episode 5, The Definition of Toughness. Kevin Somm was an excellent high school football player, athletic and fierce, a leader, team captain at West Morris Central High School in Chester, New Jersey, good enough to receive scholarship offers from mid-level college programs. But perhaps beyond all those qualities, what really set him apart was his toughness. He reveled in being tough. He wore the trait unabashedly as he roamed the field from his linebacker position on defense, but maybe even more so on offense. As a six foot one, two hundred and five pound fullback, he didn't try to evade defenders. He sought them out. The shoulder pad under his opponent's jaw, that was his calling card. I really embraced the role of like the tough guy on the field. I went out of my way to try to run defenders over, go for the big hit. Looking back sometimes now, kind of like cheap shot. I was kind of known for, you know, sparking some excitement in the game and getting my team going. Linemen who are kind of trailing the play, not really involved, just not really paying attention. Like I would just go out of my way and 
try to knock knock them over. I think that's part of the allure for both fans and players is like the kind of danger aspect to it. Making big hits and that's what's exciting. And I definitely embrace that role. I think all it took was, you know, one big hit when I was a kid and, and having my coaches and uh, parents and teammates kind of celebrate the play. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, like if people celebrate this and I want to do this more. This spirit, this style of play isn't unusual in football. It's, it's burned into the culture of the sport. Every team has guys who play like this. You might be wary of them or even dislike them when they're on the opposing sideline, but when they're on your team, you love them. Because tough players who operate in a sort of gray area bordering on recklessness, particularly in regards to their own safety, they make a difference. In a lot of ways, this is the most effective way to play football. The problem is that in Kevin Somm's case, this style of play, this toughness, it almost killed him. The good news is, it also caused him to take another look at what toughness really means. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Somm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Today I'm honored to have uh, former NFL cornerback uh, Sean Spring. This is Kevin Somm today. He is the host of the Heads and Tails podcast, a show that aims to help athletes deal with the fact that they are no longer athletes. Kevin talks to fitness trainers, doctors, former athletes, Anyone with advice, a unique experience, or an inspirational story to help others deal with a problem he still deals with to this day, finding an identity beyond that of an athlete. It's become almost like a buzz, I guess, phrase or a buzz topic, you know, in sports. And it's talked a lot more about today than it ever was when I got hurt, uh, which is like with the whole transitional life after sports thing. But, you know, what a lot of people say is like the identity outside of sports has to be developed while you're still playing sports because it doesn't help you know if you have to you know find it when it's over and it's sports and for everyone at some point in time either you're not good enough or you're hurt I'd say the hardest part is I'm in like a constant search for answers you know like I almost started off trying to heal myself you know, and I, I feel like I'm constantly learning new things and new things to implement. But I feel like there's there's still days where I'm I still see myself as the athlete I used to be. And you think about the what ifs, and you know, I think it's I, I'm getting better at being okay with that and kind of just like you know having those emotions and feeling them, and then kind of moving on and do another podcast to try to address whatever feeling I kind of had. Because chances are, an athlete out there. It's probably feeling the same way. As Kevin works to help others, he's also working to help himself. And when you hear his story, you'll see why. Because on a fateful night 11 years ago, he had his identity taken from him as well, and nearly a whole lot more. The moment that started all of this came on October 5th, 2007. 
Well, actually, that's not entirely true. That may have been the most dramatic moment, but the stage was set in the weeks leading up to that. As noted earlier, Kevin was a star running back and linebacker, leader of his team and known for his physical play. But that season, it was taking a toll on his body, and there was this kind of domino effect, injuries leading to other injuries, each one increasingly dangerous. But Kevin cherished his role as a leader, and leaders don't sit out. They don't succumb to pain. Entering the third week of the season, Kevin was nursing two bad shoulders and learning how to make do. So I separated my AC joint in my one shoulder, and because I hurt that one, I was favoring my other shoulder, which ended up getting hurt too. So looking back, I really had nothing else to hit with but my head, you know, and I, I should have sat out for the shoulders, but in the third week of the season, I tried to run over a defender when I was running the ball and we collided heads and I really didn't have any symptoms immediately after I actually finished the game and there wasn't anything really that bad. But after the game, I developed this like excruciating headache that I can't even, I, I've had nothing comparable or even close to that pain uh, since then. And that was almost coming up on 11 years ago. Kevin didn't just have a headache, he had a concussion and he believes he may have also had a brain bleed at the time. But he didn't tell anybody. He forged ahead. He tried to hide the pain. West Morris Central was 0-3 at the time, and an 0-4 start would end any hope of reaching the postseason. And leaders don't quit, not when their team needs them. The only symptom I had was that really bad headache. So I think that's why... You know, people around me didn't really notice or think that I was anything was wrong. And I wasn't really complaining about anything either. You know, I wasn't telling people that my head was hurting me, even though on the inside, I was like, I mean, I was sitting at a gym class. You know, I was a gym class hero, too. And I was voluntarily sitting at a gym class because my head was hurting me so bad just to, like, run and move around. It felt like my brain was bouncing inside my head. So that was a, a small sign that something was wrong. But... You know, this is back in 2007 when people didn't talk about concussions like they do today. Interestingly, Kevin's coaches did notice something was up with him. He was avoiding contact in practice, and they kind of ribbed him about it. Kevin makes it clear that he doesn't blame his coaches for anything. He places the responsibility on himself for keeping his injuries to himself. But he says the coaches did give him a hard time about his performance in practice. You know, I was told from the time I was seven years old where, you know, suck it up and no crying. And, you know, I was kind of taught that sense of what masculinity, quote unquote, like should look like. And I was really just trying to, like, play out whatever I thought was toughness at the time. And, yeah, it's just like, you know, you're letting a sophomore scout team run it, like linebacker take you down. Like, it's like that kind of stuff, not like. No, you're a sissy, Kevin. Like, that, that was never said. He may have buried it at the time, but Kevin was worried. That's clear because he did tell somebody about his headaches, his mom, who never wanted him to play football in the first place. He told her because she was out of town and she couldn't do anything to keep him from playing. She was the only person that I told that my head was hurting me because I knew she couldn't stop me from playing because she was in Florida and I was in New Jersey. And she was like, hey, Kevin, like I read this People magazine article on the on the uh, plane ride to Florida and some kid, he, some football player had a concussion and he died from something called second impact syndrome. 
Like maybe you should go talk to your trainer and see if you have a concussion. And I was like, nah, I think I'm fine. I'm going to play this week. <laughs> so the exact same thing that, you know, was about to happen to me in a couple of days, you know, I, I it was right in front of my face and I just denied it. A couple of nights after that phone call, Kevin took the field against Morris Knowles High School. It was foggy that night. You could barely see 10 feet through the murk. Early in the first quarter, his team has a good drive going and is nearing the end zone. Kevin takes the ball and dives for the end zone. But as he does, he gets hit in the side of the head. He gets up with blurred vision. But he kind of chalks it up to the fog or maybe the sweat in his eyes. Besides, they're on the one-yard line, and he wants to score. So he stays in the game. Kevin carries the ball in for a touchdown on the next play, and his worries just kind of temporarily vanish. I mean, after all, he reasoned with himself, if, if he's capable of scoring a touchdown, he must be okay. But of course he wasn't. On the next defensive series, he misses a tackle that leads to a touchdown. Then, after his team gets the ball back, he carries it for the last time. It was a play called down right, and it was a play I ran a million times. Run the ball to the right, and basically as soon as I get the handoff, the defender wraps his arms around my legs, and I start you know, going down to the ground. And as I'm going to the ground, all I remember seeing is this white shoulder pad coming right at my face. So the defender makes contact with my face, and I'm close to the ground, so I also hit my head on the ground. And I thought it was like unnecessary roughness because I was already pretty much tackled, and I felt like this guy was kind of just coming in and trying to finish me off. So I get up, and I look to the ref to kind of see like why he didn't throw a flag. And as soon as I stood up, I couldn't feel my legs. So from the waist down, it was like rubber. And at this point, I start getting really scared. Kevin knows there's something seriously wrong. His teammates escort him to the sideline. The team trainer, Suzanne Barba, sits him down and checks him out. He tells her, my brain hurts and I can't feel my legs, over and over again. So basically, I sat down on the bench and she was taking a look at me. And there was actually a doctor on the sideline. And he's like, all right, let me take a look at him and everything like that. So he's, he's taking a look at me, and my athletic trainer kind of gets a different perspective on the, the scene. And she notices that I have a gaze towards the right side. So my eyes are just like focused over to the right for like no reason. And she was an EMT also, so she knew that that was a sign of a brain bleed. So as soon as she saw that, she radioed for a helicopter to come pick me up. It was in that moment that Kevin collapsed to the ground with a grand mal seizure. The helicopter was just returning to the area from another call and arrived quickly. They loaded him up and flew him to the hospital. A few minutes later and the worsening fog would have grounded that helicopter. Barbara's quick action and some fortunate timing probably saved Kevin's life. So I'm definitely lucky that I thank you know my athletic trainer Suzanne Barba all like every day for I think she's the reason because she acted so quickly that it saved me a lot of the ailments that a lot of my uh, counterparts you know weren't weren't so weren't as lucky because she called for a helicopter uh, that got me to the hospital you know that much quicker. Kevin was diagnosed with second impact syndrome. He had two brain bleeds: a subdural hematoma and a subarachnoid hematoma. 
Both are considered serious emergencies, the kind where life hangs on a coin flip. So that's kind of what happens to kids with second impact syndrome. It's your brain is swelling uncontrollably and it actually swells so much that it cuts off your brainstem and you basically just stop breathing and go brain dead, which is why the mortality rate is about 50% and the morbidity rate is almost 100%. So, you know, most of the kids who have my injury either die, number one, or they're left, you know, mentally handicapped for the, the rest of their lives. About half of people with this condition die. Almost all are disabled in some way, mentally or physically, or both. Fortune smiled on Kevin that day, but keeping him alive was just the first part of the battle. He had a difficult fight ahead of him, as well as a big dose of reality. So a couple days go by, and the swelling on my brain and the bleeds don't actually get any better. They're actually getting worse. And I remember getting sick a bunch, and... You know, I was just constantly throwing up. And I'm still like, you know, I just played a football game and I they, they didn't let me drink any water or any eat any food. I was like very, I was struggling for sure. But come Sunday after that game, and since my CAT scans weren't getting any better, they decided to have uh, do a craniotomy. So basically they drilled a hole in my skull to relieve the pressure on my brain. Mm-hmm. And at that point, like, I didn't care what the hell they did because my head was hurting me so bad. I just wanted them to do something to, like, make it feel better. So they wheel me in the surgery. And as they're wheeling me in, the doctor says that he literally says, I'll never step foot on a football field again. And I just remember, like, bawling my eyes out because to that point, my whole identity was as Kevin Som, the football player who was going to play in college and, you know, try to do all this, this, these things. Kevin's recovery was both kind of rough and remarkable at the same time. He spent five days in intensive care, 10 days total in the hospital, after his craniotomy. About a month after his injury, Kevin was back in school. He experienced some weakness, and he had to walk with a cane for a time. But his recovery was, in his words, kind of ridiculous. But he wasn't out of the woods yet, either. About a month after getting out of the hospital, Kevin suddenly woke up with a nasty headache and his head was swollen. It turned out that the bone plast, which covered the hole in his skull from the craniotomy, had become infected. He was given intense antibiotics to deal with the infection, but then he developed an allergic reaction to the medication. I wake up and all my joints in my body are like really sore and like it hurts to sit, it hurts to walk, it hurts to really like do anything. And then I started developing head-to-toe hives. All of my body, I had hives, so I was having an allergic reaction to the medicine. So I had to go back to the hospital again so they could figure out, you know, what medication it was and what alternative I could have. But in the meantime, I still had an infection in my brain, so I had to keep taking the same medicine that was giving me this intense reaction. So that was definitely a uh, a rough week in the hospital. And yet Kevin bounced back. He returned to school and even played baseball later that spring. The recovery was nothing short of amazing. Remember that roughly half of people who suffer his injury die, and almost all of them suffer some sort of disability. Kevin was more or less back to normal. He did find, however, that his emotional recovery was extremely difficult. As he returned to school, he found that he missed football. The next fall, Kevin enrolled at Rutgers University, 
He chose Rutgers in part because he knew the school's program was elite enough that he would not have been able to play there. It would be less painful for him that way. Still identifying himself as Kevin Somney athlete, he tried out for the Rutgers crew team, but that didn't provide the same feeling of running out onto a field under the Friday night lights. So he quit, and eventually he got a job working as a student manager for the football team. Looking back, it was almost like uh, it was me holding on to the last bit of football identity I still thought I had because I could still walk around campus with all the football gear that all the players wear. And, you know, I could travel with the team and go to all the practices and get bowl rings. And it was, I was basically a football player that didn't have to get hit every day. So it was, it was a temporary kind of placeholder, you know, but that obviously came to an end, but too. After Rutgers, Kevin went to grad school at Georgetown in the sports management program. He knew he wanted to do something with sports health and safety to help athletes. This was about the same time he started falling in love with podcasts. All of these ideas ended up combining into the Heads and Tails podcast, which is partly designed as a guide to help other athletes and partly as sort of his own self-administered therapy session. I'm in like a constant search for answers. You know, like I almost started off trying to heal myself, you know, and I, I feel like I'm constantly learning new things and new things to implement, but I feel like there's, there's still days where I'm, I still see myself as the athlete I used to be. And you think about the what ifs and, you know, I think it's, I, I'm getting better at being okay with that and kind of just like, you know, having those emotions and feeling them and then kind of moving on and do another podcast to try to address whatever feeling I kind of had because chances are an athlete out there is probably feeling the same way. Of course, when you think about Kevin Somm's story in its entirety, a couple of questions come to mind. You can't help but be curious as to where he stands with football and the future of the sport. And you can't help but wonder if he is worried about his future health, given the tremendous blows to the head that he took and what we know about CTE and other long-term brain problems. When I ask him about these issues, he, he tells me I might be surprised by his answers. And given the nature of the topic, not to mention the horrible injury that almost ended his life, I suppose I was a little bit surprised. Where it might be tempting to react to these issues in a visceral way, Kevin has thought a lot about it. And his feelings are, his feelings are nuanced. You see, Kevin still loves football, and it still hurts him that he was unable to live out his dream of playing on the college level. But he also realizes that the way he played the game was the very reason his dream died. I don't want my message to be, oh yeah, I don't regret anything, because I do, you know. I wish I could have played college football, and for those people listening to this, you know, I want you to live your dreams too. So if you don't want your dreams, if your dream is to play a college sport, then don't do what I did because that, you know, that blueprint didn't quite work out for me. So I know if I could go back and play football again, I wouldn't be such a meathead like I was when I played football. You like get out of bounds instead of trying to run someone over, you know, and play the long game. Like the point of football is to run away from the defense, not to run at the defense. Uh, I think I could have been a lot smarter that way and taking care of my body. So I think in terms of taking care of myself and speaking up for myself, I would definitely be, I would have changed that. But 
I would never I would never trade it for the experiences that I've gotten to have. For Kevin, it's not a problem with the sport of football itself. He acknowledges the risks and thinks everyone should understand them before strapping on a helmet. But he doesn't blame the sport. He blames the culture around the sport. He wants players to understand that they need to look after their own health. They need to tell coaches when they are hurt and shouldn't feel the pressure to play when they are. And he thinks coaches should look after their players a little better and not shame them into playing when they shouldn't. When you're 17, like that one game, that fourth week of the season game against Morris Knowles High School, to me was like the end all be all. Like that game was like gonna define the, the trajectory of the rest of my life. When in reality, it, it has nothing to do with anything. Like, you know, you, you can't put so much, I guess, weight on one thing because in a second it could be taken away from you and you have no control over it. And that's, that's what happened to me. One other thing Kevin would like to see is the players actually looking out for each other a little bit more. Don't lead with your head, and don't aim for someone else's either. Don't go for the big hit to fire up the crowd, like the younger Kevin Som would have done. To anyone who has watched much football, this might seem like an unrealistic goal, but Kevin believes that with increased buy-in from players and coaches, a cultural shift can occur in time. I mean, I think football is an inherently dangerous sport, um, just because of like the point of the game is to tackle people and to like hit people. But I think once the player, all the players start buying in and they don't go for the cheap shots and they don't, you know, the defensive receiver, like you're not going for these guys who, you know, can't defend themselves. And I think when the coaches are on board and they stop kind of reinforcing that, I really do think the game could be a lot safer. Like I always get frustrated when I see kind of like a cheap shot. I'm like, dude, like what, how would you want that guy to tackle you if you were, if the roles were reversed, you know? I think if more people start thinking it as a football family as opposed to, like, my team versus your team, I, I really do think we can get to a place. Will it ever be, like, injury-free? Definitely not. You know, but neither is soccer, neither is hockey, neither is any other sport. Neither is golf. You know, like, injuries are going to happen. But I think if everyone kind of embraces, like, let's live to fight another down, you know, and let's live to fight another game, that I think everyone will, will benefit from that. Connected with all of this is the idea of putting football where it belongs on a societal scale. To the 17-year-old Kevin Som, football was everything. He reveled in the glory and recognition of being an athlete, and a tough one at that. But when it was taken away, he eventually realized that he could be so much more than just an athlete. He realized that there were other ways to define toughness. A big part of my message with the podcast is like the definition of what toughness is. Because with my injury from football, my definition was completely based on how people perceived me. And it was scoring touchdowns. It was lifting heavy weights in the weight room. It was uh, hitting home runs. It was all these things that were external. It had nothing to do with like anything that I really had control over in a lot of ways. So I've since kind of shifted that definition to toughness being being engaged in every single activity that you're doing and doing it to your best ability, no matter what that is. Thank you for listening to the Raised Sports Podcast. To hear more from Kevin Song, subscribe to his show, Heads and Tails. That's heads, apostrophe N, 
Tales, T-A-L-E-S. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, and he has a backlog of more than 140 episodes, so go get to your binge listening. This episode was written and produced by me, Bob Harkins. Music credits for this show go to The Insider, BOPD, Solar Flare, and Kai Angle. And the theme song comes from DL Sounds. Want to support this show? Join our membership club at Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can receive special member benefits, participate in contests and giveaways, and help us grow the podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>